This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fourteen years ago, I had the opportunity to fly fish a legendary Spring Creek. Fishing it is to a fly fisher what playing 18 holes at Augusta is to a golfer, I guess, <laughs> being the golfer that I yeah, am. But I have no context for but that. That sounds good, right? <laughs> anyway, the creek is Nelson Spring Creek, south of Livingston, Montana, in Paradise Valley. It's a three-quarter mile stretch of creek that has its source in a couple of springs in limestone bedrock, and then eventually the stream or the creek empties into the Yellowstone River. And I fished it on a day early in May, back when I lived just west of Bozeman, Montana. It was a 55-minute drive, and I still have vivid memories of that day. Steve, I think we should just start by you explaining why you've never taken me there. Oh, man, that's right. Well, Dave, I have two words for you that will explain everything. You ready? Rod (laughs) fee. Rod fee. That's why. I happened to get on for free that day. You're the master of that. How have I not benefited from that? Well, I don't know. I, I've, I've thought about that. Maybe there's a connection there that I can still work, and maybe we can do that. It would be fun to yeah, go I back. Yeah, I would love to fish it. It would be fun to go back. So what yeah. were your first memories of the day? Well, and, and I still get kind of nostalgic when I, I think about that day. I haven't thought about it for a while, but I, I remember the drive into Nelson Spring Creek Ranch. Uh, my parents lived for 14 years south of Livingston, Paradise Valley, and I uh, one summer I worked uh, for a couple ranchers up and down that valley, and and driving back into uh, Nelson Spring Creek Ranch was kind of nostalgic then, and even to think about it, it is now. But you drive in in this gravel road uh, off of what they, what's called the East River Road, the highway east of the Yellowstone River, and there's just this spectacular yeah, view. Yeah, I will say this. There oh. is nothing like it. Oh, it's just something else. I mean, this is this is May, so it's green. The foothills of the Gallatin Range to the west are breaking out in green, and then you've got the the snow covered peaks of the Gallatin Range to the southwest. In fact, you can see into Yellowstone National Park, and then you've got Chico Peak, Immigrant Peak to the south. They're in the Absorky Range, uh, actually to the southeast. So I, it's just. It's just spectacular. How far was that from where your parents lived on the Yellowstone? Oh, it was probably, I don't know, eight eight miles. Oh, man. Maybe it was ten miles north. That's amazing. Something like that. Uh, And then, yeah, driving in, and suddenly the the flat ends and the gravel road makes a steep descent to the Yellowstone River bottom, and I arrived at a picnic shelter along the creek, and the day began. So how did you get free access? You said the creek has a rod fee? Yeah, well, my friend Murray has uh, worked for the Nelsons for years and years. Murray was a, a firefighter in, in Los Angeles and then you know retired early, I think in his 40s, uh, moved to Paradise Valley, and, and he just struck up a friendship with them. His kind of one of the things he loved to do was just working on the ranch, and, and he loved to fly fish as well. So he'd work on the ranch, and then they would let him on for free. Uh, they gave him a, a free day in the spring and then a free day in the fall. So I was there on one of those uh, spring days. But I, I should say, at that time, the rod fee was about $75 a day in the spring and fall, and then 100 in the summer. And that's summer would be prime tourist season. 
Uh, now it's between $80 and $120 a day, depending on when you're there. I, I just got online and looked the other day, and I noticed that they've got it's a little bit more complex now. They've divided the year up into, you know, smaller segments, and uh, you know, the, the price grid's a little bit different. But uh, yeah, I, I basically got it on free because uh, I, I knew the right person. Yeah. yeah. So you also have some personal history to the Nelsons as well, right? Yeah, yeah. My folks and the Nelsons. It would have been Edwin and Helen. Uh, they were friends, but my dad was a hunter, not a fly fisher, so we really never pushed hard to fish the creek. And honestly, I, I was scared away. That This is in the mid-'80s when I still was just dabbling with fly fishing, and I, I heard stories of tiny flies, you know, size 20, size 22, and finicky trout. And I caught enough trout in the Yellowstone that I thought, oh, that's good enough for me. I'm not going to go embarrass myself on, on Nelson Spring Creek. By the way, that creek is more technical than the other two uh, well-known spring creeks ac across the river. I mean, literally right across the river, uh, you have Armstrong's and Depew's, uh, which you'll often see in fly fishing photographs if you see these towering, uh, uh, you know, snow-capped mountains behind them and and you see fly fishers in a spring creek, well, that, that's probably a, a stretch on Armstrong's or to what makes What makes uh, Nelson's more technical? It's basically because of the slower water. Uh, you don't have as many riffles, and, and so it's... Uh, Long leaders. Yep, yeah, Long that's tippets. right. Yep. right. Very uh, fine tippets, and uh, yeah, it's, it's like you're, you're fishing in glass. Anyway, I remember seeing the creek in the mid-'80s, though, for the first time when I helped a contractor put in a, a septic drain field for one of the ranch houses. And, and even though I was intimidated by the creek, I was intrigued to learn that, that the legendary fly fisher Joe Brooks had fished it. In fact, he was the one who encouraged the Nelsons to charge for fishing. And then Kurt Gowdy and Sandra Day O'Connor, you know, the Supreme Court Justice, and a number of other celebrities fished it, too. And I, I always secretly hoped I'd get a chance to do it. So what's the story behind Joe Brooks convincing the Nelsons to charge for fishing? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, kind of resent him now. Yeah, I know. it. Thanks a lot, Joe. So uh, Edwin Nelson, kind of the, the patriarch of, of the, the family, at least when it comes to the fly fishing piece, he moved to the northern end of this ranch when he was one year old. And Edwin and, and his wife, uh, Helen, have passed away a few years ago. And his son, Roger, and his wife, Mary, run it now. And by the way, their son, Tucker, is a licensed outfitter. He guides on it. Wow. But anyway, Edwin uh, moved to the northern end of the ranch when he's one. But, it, but they didn't buy the rest of the ranch with the Spring Creek on it until 1951. Now, they bought it for the creek, but not for fishing. They bought it to water cattle. I mean, think about it. It's a spring creek, so it never freezes over in the winter. I think the temperature of that creek is, is I mean, it's stable. It's like 50 degrees or yeah, something. Yeah, 52, 53, probably yeah, right around in right. there. Yeah, right. So, you know, that, that's why they got it. Hey, you know, we, we can water our cattle here. And, and I've, I've read, and I think I remember Edwin saying that the creek had no name when they bought it. Uh, well, then Joe Brooks and his, mare, and his wife Mary, uh, they fished it in 1952 at the suggestion of a friend. And I have no idea who the friend is, but I wonder if it was one of, it was like Dan Bailey or had to have been somebody in Livingston yeah, who sure. told him about it. So he fishes it in 52. They keep coming back. They're staying in a bunkhouse there on the Nelsons. 
1954, I mean, think about that, Dave. In 1954, Brooks suggested charging people to fish, going to fly fishing only, and catch and release fishing. Isn't wow, that something? That that's, is amazing. That's in 54. Well, they implemented those ideas around 1960. Now, now wasn't it Lee Wolf who basically promoted catch and release basically in the 40s so this this would have been 10 years later yeah i think that's but right it's still yeah. early right? it, it really I is mean, given technology yeah. and communications it's really early for i know catch it, and release. it really yeah. is you know i want to say something too about the rod fee i don't have a problem with them charging that because a lot of the money has gone into conservation efforts now on the other side it, it does make uh, that kind of an experience probably off limits to some fly fishers who simply can't afford that I'd have to save, and for me, I wow, you know, a rod fee, hundred bucks. Well, if you're uh, also going out there, and you know, you're taking a trip out there, yeah, and you're not local, and so you're, you know, you have this whole trip plan, and you're adding right. in the rod fee, it does become yeah. pricey. So if you pay a rod fee, how many others will be on the creek at the same time? Well, then the limit was six rods or, or six anglers, fly fishers, on any given day. And the day we were there, there was only one guy. Now, I think I've read that the limit now is eight, and I'm not sure why, other than, you know, they, they, they've probably figured out how they can, you know, get more rods on it without... Yeah, optimize the, the crew. Right, yeah. So how was the fishing? I mean, did you have a good day, and what are your first memories of the time on the creek? Well, we went to the upper end, so away from the Yellowstone River, and, and Murray asked me if I preferred riffles or slower, smoother wa water. Well, <laughs> like, duh, uh, I'll take riffles any day. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I need something that's a little more forgiven. And, I, Dave, I, you know, the, the spring creeks that we fished, uh, a couple of other places in Montana and, and even in the Driftless in both Wisconsin and Minnesota, they're, they're clear, but... There's something about this creek that it is crystal clear. All right, so we, we started fishing about 11 a.m., and I tied on a size 18 Comparadon because Murray thought that a PMD hatch was going to begin, and, and he was right, but it took a few minutes for that to materialize. Uh, I wanted to switch to a nymph. Nothing's happening, but uh, he says, no, just, just keep that on. This is going to happen soon, and, and about 20 minutes later, uh, the fun began. I'll never forget it, Dave. Suddenly, I, I just start seeing tails and backs and fins and noses uh, breaking the surface film. Oh, that's I just mean, amazing. You, you could just see these fish in there, and, and it's driving you crazy because they're just doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, like, whoa, it's like the water is is kind of roiling. And and then after that happened, it was I'll never forget it was after that. Then that I start seeing bugs fluttering up from the surface. Wow. I'll never forget that. So they're so, catching them on the emerge as they're emerging through the yeah, column, water column? Right, I think so. Well, so yeah, I, I finally start I'm I'm floating my fly through the riffle and 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 then when it went into this larger pool, it came out of the riffle into a larger pool. I'll never forget seeing this trout just dart to the surface and snatched it. And it was an 18-inch brown. That was the first wow. fish I caught wow. in there. Wow, wow, yeah. wow. What a thrill. So how do you remember it was 18 inches, my friend? Yeah, well, you know, my memory isn't quite that <laughs> vivid. Although I'm not I, sure I trust it. I know. But I, I do have vivid memories of that day. But I also recorded the results in a journal so I wouldn't forget them. Wow. Uh, yeah, and, and then after that, I, I caught a 14-inch brown. And then, that, then the hatch just stopped. 
and so did the fishing. So uh, we did what all wise fly fishers do. We, we stopped for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So now with a clear spring creek, did you have to like sneak up on the fish? Obviously, your tackle had to be lighter, more refined. Tell me about... <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did you catch those fish on such a clear creek? Yeah, you're you're doubting me because you know how I fly fish. Well, you know, that's the crazy thing, Dave. The water was so clear, I, I felt like I was watching trout in an aquarium through a glass oh window. Oh and I know they saw me. But as long as I did not creep too close or make a threatening movement, they, they didn't spook. Because I said to Murray, do I need to get down on my hands and knees? He says, well, if you want to. But he says, I never do that. And, and I didn't. And... You know, I, I thought for a while, well, I must be spooking them because they're not hitting. But, well, like they're, they're not moving. If I really spooked them, they would, you know, they'd head back up or down the, the, the creek. But they, but they waited, and, and then when the hatch came, they, they were free to take my flies. That was the, it was the strangest thing. Wow. That reminds me when we used to fish Big Spring Creek in Lewistown. Oh, yeah. It would drive you crazy. These, you could see oh, them through it. the clear water just sitting there and doesn't yep. matter what you floated by them they would not strike yeah. so hey did you catch any others well yeah after lunch murray told me that i might want to use nymphs for a while until we got closer to an afternoon uh, blueing olive hatch and he's fished that so much he knows exactly it's like within a half hour of, of when those hatches are going to come off well i was kind of impatient i don't want to switch to nymphs so i i tied on this comparadon with gray dubbing uh, so that with the gray dumbing, it kind of in, you know imitates the the BWO, the blue winged olive, instead of that tan dubbing. And, and I'm glad I did that because the the hatch uh, suddenly happened, you know, sooner than he thought it would. And all of a sudden, boy, the the water is stirring again. And 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 I caught more trout in about 15. Yeah, you know, I caught four more in 15 minutes. That's uh, awesome. Now, I have to admit this. One of those was foul hooked. Yeah, but who's who's? Yeah. I know. Did it, you have to say that? Yeah, I did. Oh my! But you know that that's part of it. There's so many fish just rolling over that that uh, that was inevitable. But one that but one that I caught was a boy. It's just beautiful plump Yellowstone cutthroat. Oh, that that's was that great. was really cool. So you caught browns and a cutthroat. Any rainbows? Well, you know, that's my last story of the day. I I had a couple of 45-minute stretches with just absolutely nothing. And, and that's kind of the nature of those spring creeks there. I mean, I couldn't even get anything on nymphs. Huh. But late afternoon, as we were ready to leave the creek, I, I spotted a trout rising in some calm water. And again, I prefer riffles. I'm, I'm not that technical of a fly fisher. I just don't have those sorts of skills. But... It's like I had to give it a try. So I made this 45-degree angled cast above the trout so the fly would drift on top of him. And and on my first cast, I can still see this. The fly floated by him about six inches away, and the, the, the trout actually turned to look at it and, and ignored the fly. Uh, wow. <laughs> so I thought, well, it doesn't like what I'm offering. But on the third or fourth cast, the fly drifted right over his window, and he grabbed it. Wow. And, and it turns out it was an 18-inch rainbow. Wow. So I, I got the trifecta. And during the fight, it even leaped out of the water. It was shaking its head, but it, it didn't throw the hook. But it just wow. struck me. That, that is that, so awesome. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't the pattern. The pattern was fine, but somehow, for whatever reason, when it was six inches away, it's like, eh, I'm not going to make the effort to get that. 
but when it was right over its nose, it just rose up and, and took it. And it what? didn't it didn't dart up like the one that I caught earlier in the day. It's like uh, just sipping away and just kind of gently, you know, just nosed up and just slurped it in. And you know when they talk was... about how trout really are all about conserving energy. Oh yeah. You know, maximizing the yes. calories with the conservation of energy. Yep. I think that would fit that. That's right? a that prime would... example. That's a yeah. great point. That was really fascinating. Really fascinating. Fish are really about, you know, it's all about survival and it is. And yeah. what can I maximize with mm-hmm. the amount of energy that I'm going to expend to go after this? Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So final question, why is this Spring Creek so much better than the others? Yeah, and there's a lot of other spring creeks in in Montana, a number in the Gallatin Valley where I lived, and, and they're good. But I, th- this one is different. I I think one of the reasons is that except for a short stretch near the point where it empties into the Yellowstone, the entire creek flows at a velocity less than two feet per second. That's that's pretty slow. Yeah, that is slow. So, and the, really, there's only two or three places where there's riffles. So, as a result, there's little or no scouring that occurs. And it's kind of like those chalk streams of England where the water temperature is invariably in the 50s and, and the creek is uniformly alkaline. And so, you have this ideal environment for this aquatic plant life to flourish and that means you have this abundance of insects and small aquatic animals and so you got large trout year after year and and also it's a little bit larger than than some of the other spring creeks that that I fished and and has some deeper runs so yeah it's just this perfect storm for uh you know being a large fish factory yeah so have you ever caught anything has anybody had luck on streamers or is that it's just too still to sling a stringer you know that's a good question i've never heard anybody talk about that maybe there's been some guys who have done that maybe at certain you know times but it might not be the structure for it yeah that'd be the right river structure spring creek that's the thing i I don't think it is and now everybody and i think too the the fly fishers who fish it, they like that challenge of that really technical fishing. You know, if they want to, they want to yeah, throw streamers. They're just going to go to the uh, Yellowstone, to the, yeah, to the river, which it, it empties right into the river. So yeah, hopefully, Dave, we can fish it sometime. It really is a unique experience. I would love to fish that someday. That would be great. I mean, we have fished a lot of spring creeks, and the one thing we've learned about spring creeks is this, and that is, you're not as good a fly fisher as you think you are. Oh, that's so true. They they're are so technical, and they're very humbling. And, oh my goodness! And I went back there another time with Murray, and I just didn't do very well at all. Well, neither did he. He's he's a lot better fly fisher than I am, but. Yeah, those spring creeks, they really humble you. Maybe that's part of the rod fee, too, as you know that you know, you're guaranteed an experience. But uh, Yeah, definitely mm, not fish that's necessarily. Right. Yeah, I for know sure. It. Well, what a great day. Yeah, it really was. Well, hey, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here are a couple of comments on a recent podcast we did on what fly fishing guides have taught us about ourselves. This is Jim's comment. I take a guided trip every couple years. What always interests me the most with a guide is watching them tie knots. The best guide will take a simple blood knot and make it a simple knot with no third hand. Wow. They will show you, watch you, and know when to let you fish by tying it yourself. Yeah, for sure. That's a great, 
great comment. Yeah, that, that really is. Yeah, you, you fish with a guide. One thing you learn about yourself is, boy, I am really slow at tying knots. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> and their knots are good knots. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so. Oh, I know. So here's a comment from Bob on the same podcast. He says, one of the things that strikes me about current fly fishing guides is how many skills they have to have beyond fishing. That is so true. Boy. He says, if you spend time talking with these guides, you're just as likely to hear about Instagram accounts and web marketing as you are about fly selection and dead drifts. I know one young guide who has built up quite a thriving small business. He has several guides working for him, and he's making sure everyone is having a good time. His work doesn't stop when he puts the drift boat up on the trailer. Well, I tell you what, there's a whole generation of guides that are so savvy technically. Yeah. And it seems like some of the most technical skills are just second nature to them. Yeah, right. I fished with a, a guide up in, uh, it was in Utah several years ago, and I came away so impressed. I just thought, holy cow, fly fishing is in good hands with yeah. this next generation. Mm -hmm. It's it really made me happy. I know. It's so true. Well, that's going to do it for today. Please tell us about a fine day you've had on the river and what made it stand out in your mind. You can do this by commenting on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. Thank you for referring our podcast to your fly fishing club, your TU chapter, and friends. It's very obvious that many of you have done so. That's how we grow. And we're very, very grateful for your trust. And we'd also love to hear your ideas for future podcast episodes. We've received quite a few from you, and we're just very grateful. It really helps us as we, as we plan. Be sure to reach out to us on Instant Messenger or on Instagram or Twitter or you know just email us at stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. One more thing, if you haven't yet purchased our book, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, you can find it on Amazon. We'd love for you to pick it up. Life is short, so buy our book, right? <laughs> there we no, go. No, it's Life is Short, Catch More Fish. Oh, God, that's the tagline. <laughs> Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. <laughs>